There's just so much room up here. I feel like we should kind of, whatever, yeah, dance. Yeah, it would be good. Any liturgical dance? Anybody feel moved at this moment in time? So, um, Jesus loves me. This I know. You'd like to dance, wouldn't you, Tommy? I was just kidding. <laughs> we'll talk afterwards, okay? So. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. It's a familiar, um, beloved song. Uh, it's been loved by children and adults since it was written way back in 1860. 1860. A woman named Anna Warner wrote the original version, and later a man named David McGuire added this stanzas two and three. She just wrote that first one, Jesus Loved Me, This I Know. Uh, apparently, Anna's sister, uh, Susan, uh, asked her to write a song for a Sunday school teacher who wanted to cheer up a little boy who was sick and, and, and perhaps dying. And so they came up with this simple little, little, little hymn. Ever since, uh, they've brought uh, encouragement and smiles, sometimes the first song that children learn. Uh, the lyrics actually appeared as a poem in a novel first, uh, a novel called Say and Seal. And then in 1862, a couple years after she wrote the words, a man named William Bradbury composed the music and added the refrain, Yes, Jesus loves me. She didn't write that, but he added that. And so uh, it came into the form that we have it now. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Does it? Does the Bible tell me Jesus loves me? Well, yes and no. In so many words, the actual words, Jesus loves me, even Jesus loves you, do not appear in the pages of Scripture. Well, at least not quite like that. But it's pretty clear. And in fact, in today's Scripture that Daniel just read, uh, is really, really the closest that it comes, where Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. I have loved you, disciples. And we include ourselves in that group. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends, and you are my friends, he goes on, if you do what I command. And so Jesus obviously is expressing love. So does the Bible tell us that Jesus loves us? Well, it doesn't say Jesus loves you, Jesus loves me, but of course it says, and it's often wrapped up in our understanding of God's love for us, and that's all through there of God's love for us. But we know that God's ultimate revelation of himself is in and through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, it does. This summer, we've been sharing about uh, different aspects of love as we've talked about love in our community. And we have, uh, these last couple weeks, we looked at the, really, the incredible love of God. We, uh, we have, we've, um, we've talked about basking in the love of God, oh, how he loves us, a few weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we talked about God being our Abba Father on Father's Day. We talked about that spirit that comes within us where we cry out, Abba, Father. And that says something about us, too. We found out that, 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 that the love of God uh, for us and that we can call him Abba says something about our own identity, our own security, and who he is. And so we, we finished that Sunday by singing the, the Chris Tomlin song, You're a good, good father. That's who you are. That's who you are. And then the second part, And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. So the identity that he's a good father also leads to the identity that we're loved by him. That's who we are. That's our identity, no matter what the world might tell us our own emotions or darker thoughts about ourselves might tell us, bottom line is we are loved by God. All you need is love and the love of God. And that all comes to us, of course, in the person of Jesus who loves us. And the Bible does tell us so. So here's what we're going to look at for a little bit this morning. We have, last couple of weeks, we have basked in the deep and unfailing love of God for us. We have found that our identity and security find strength in proclaiming God as Abba Father. 
And today we recognize how the love of God comes to us in Jesus. So we're going to look at how Jesus loves us. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me in his words. There are words where he expresses his love to us as his disciples. Jesus loves me also in his deeds, and we'll see how what he did is really the main expression of his love for us. And the most important deed really is how he loves us in his death. And then we'll look at kind of affirming our faith by saying, this I know. Jesus loves me, this I know. But let's look at his words first. Um, as some of you know, our, our, our daughter and son-in-law have moved in with us. Uh, they're back there by the soundboard. And it's been wonderful. They have three sons, uh, two tw- uh, twins who will be three on September 1st, and uh, Oren and my daughter's Hanser, who was two weeks old yesterday. So we celebrated. Um, it's been really fun to, to have, especially have Parker and Silas in our home who are, are quite verbal and excited about life. And uh, it's wonderful being in Grammy and Grampy's house. And, uh, and we're having a blast together. Um, they bring a great deal of joy, but you know, as you bring two families together, um, you know, there's a mix of practices, and uh, and one area is that of prayer before meals. Now, Meg and I always we always Meg and I always hold hands when we pray, and if we have our, our adult children around the table or friends together, we always hold hands. But but Kelly and Greg have worked with Parker and Silas, and so there's the hold hands or, or fold hands method. So Parker and Silas have learned the fold. So we've we've adjusted. We've been pretty good. I've been Megan, you know. And if this is the worst conflict we've had, I think we're doing pretty good. I mean, she's, you know. About prayer, you know. So the boys like to do this. And so one of us will pray or one of them will pray. But what they do like to do after they pray is hold hands and shake the love around. I don't know where they learned that. But we have to hold hands and then both boys go, shake the love around, shake the love around. We just say it twice and then we eat. Yeah, do you want to try it? Yeah, so (laughs) it's fine. So we do hold, fold, and hold. So fold, thank you for all this food, shake the love around. As Jesus tells us that he loves us in God, John's gospel, he's kind of saying this uh, in a way. This is not just a love that we get from... We don't just say, Jesus loves me and I'm good. It's not just a love that we get from him. It is a love that connects. It's a love that gets shaked around. Jesus is kind of saying, shake the love around, friends. Shake the love around. We just made note of his words in John 15, but again, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now you remain in my love. This is just after the vine and branches part of John 15, by the way, okay? As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. My command is this, love each other now as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Love each other as I have loved you. The love of the Father gets passed along to Jesus, and he passes it around to his disciple. And it gets shaken out to us, his friends, as well. And he tells us to shake that love around to those that we meet. And so therefore, this summer, here in Naperville, summer of 2016, we're trying to shake that love around at Alden Care Center and with some of the children at Scott School and with others that we meet and get to know. Shake the love around, friends. This is a love that's not just grasped by us to say, I feel good that Jesus loves me, but we share it with others. A couple chapters earlier in chapter 13, uh, in the upper room, just after he had washed the disciples' feet, the Bible tells us these words of Jesus. He said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, you must love one another. And so the Bible tells us Jesus' words of love for us, as I have loved you. But it's always a love that's received, then given. It's never a love that's just received and hung on to. It's always a love that's received and then given. The Bible tells me so, right here. 
The Bible tells me so in the words of Jesus. But the Bible also tells me that Jesus loves me in his deeds, in his deeds. An image that Jesus uh, often uses in Scripture, and we see it right here in John 15, is that of bearing fruit. Bearing fruit is deeds. It's the things that we do. He's just talked about the vine and the branches. And sometimes we, we question, what did he really mean by bearing fruit? Some people see it purely as sort of a, an evangelistic success. We've told a lot of people, we've won people for Jesus. We've gotten people saved and the kingdom has grown in its numbers. We bear fruit by having new disciples. And that clearly is part of what bearing fruit is. But others see bearing fruit as something much more internal and personal, like a personal growth, like developing the fruits of the Spirit, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. And so we we see it as as a personal thing. Well, when Jesus talked about bearing fruit, he probably meant all of that. It's gonna if, if you if you follow me, it's gonna show in how you live. It's gonna show in in the way you conduct your life, and it's gonna show in the way in which you share the good news with others. Another way to see fruitfulness also, though, is in loving deeds and in loving actions. Our fruitfulness comes in ways that we live out our faith among others and show others the love of Christ. And it's what Jesus calls us to, but it's also a way the Bible tells us that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me in his deeds. One line of the song says, Little ones to him belong. And it takes us to that wonderful story of his loving words and his deeds in Mark chapter 10. Little ones to him belong. Mark 10, 13 says, People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on. To place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. That is some people's favorite verse of Scripture. I love that. I love it when I baptize or dedicate a baby. I like that. I like holding babies. So I'm getting a lot of experience now. It's great. But, but he took them in his arms and he blessed them. Now the disciples in this story aren't really as bad as they sound. The disciples rebuked the children. Don't bother Jesus. The disciples were, uh, weren't just trying to get rid of the kids. They were really reflecting their culture. That's the way children were treated in that culture. Children were not to, to interrupt adults. Children to be seen but not heard. Children actually were undervalued in that culture at that time. But Jesus is not bound by culture, is he? <laughs> we, we, we value children, and sometimes we value children so much we can lose perspective on other things. <laughs> Jesus is not bound by culture, but he gave value to those children. And he talked about the kingdom of God being received with a simplicity instead of loading it with all kinds of rules and expectations of simply receiving it as a child does. And so in that, Jesus was affirming their value in deep ways. Jesus was putting a high value on all people. And he was putting a high value on all people, even little miniature people. And so we have, we have this loving deed that confronts an unkind, unloving culture and that also expresses a profound tenderness. This is a deed of Jesus. This is a deed of Jesus that backs up that line of the song, little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Jesus loves us in his deeds. And as we press into scripture, we also see that Jesus loves all those who we would consider those who are marginalized or vulnerable those who are living in places of difficulty or out there on the edges. 
In our training times for our ministry at Alden Care Center, the two Sundays that we did that, June 5th and June 12th, we met here first, and we, we did a training time, and we worked with two different passages of Scripture in Luke 5 that deal with marginalized and vulnerable people. The first one was the leper in, in, in the first part of Luke 5. We know the story of Jesus healing the leper and the leper giving thanks. But as the leper first encountered Jesus, he said, are you willing to heal me? And Jesus said, of course I'm willing, be clean. But Jesus didn't just say be clean. Jesus could have said, and he just could have said, be clean, because Jesus could do, actually, Jesus could do long distance. You know, he could have gone, stay over there, you're clean, you're good, you're healed. But the scripture says he reached out and touched the man and brought his healing. This is a man who had been seriously marginalized in his culture and people would not go near him and the other lepers. So Jesus not only brought a healing for his physical need of leprosy, but there was, we read into it and believe there is also this deep healing of Jesus saying, I love you and you are important and you are of high value. This marginalized one then experienced the love of Jesus. The next week here at our training before we went to Alden for the second week, we looked at the story of the paralyzed man that comes a little bit later in Luke chapter 5. This is the guy, remember, whose friends, they, the room was so crowded, uh, people really wanted to go to church that day, and so the room was crowded, and they were all around Jesus. And so these friends of his got up on the roof, dug through the roof. Um, this is way before homeowner's policies. I don't know how they resolved that later. It doesn't matter. But uh, dug through the roof and dropped the man down in front of Jesus. Now, Jesus healed him physically, but Jesus didn't just heal him physically. He forgave his sin, which caused a lot of trouble with the religious authorities. That's another story. But Jesus, again, is bucking the culture of the time. He's bucking the religious culture of the time. And he's saying, this man has needs even deeper than his paralysis. And I'm going to take care of that need. I'm going to let you know that I've got the power and the authority to do that. And I love this man that much that I will take the grief I'm going to get by saying this and doing it, and I forgive this man. And so Jesus' love for him comes not just in the physical healing of this very vulnerable man, but also in the deep spiritual healing that we all need. All those who are marginalized, vulnerable, and in need, and in struggling. And we can know that same deep healing and love of Jesus when we experience the gift of grace and forgiveness and acceptance and belonging. And I think in these last few weeks, too, of this summer initiative that we have um, tried to, to reach out and to love people, I've got to tell you this, that, 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 that some of the main inspiration when we gathered to ask the question in January, are we going to do v- traditional VBS again? Are we going to do something different? And we did a lot of discernment together and prayer together. And this plan really got hatched out of several people in that room. But the, I would say the strongest sense of vision for this thing the strongest sense of purpose and the drive and the energy of this were Amy Klug and Amy Silder. And what has happened to the Klugs and the Silders in the last few weeks? Klugs have suffered a tragic loss, and the Silders have, 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 have suffered a tragic illness with their daughter, such that they've become in a very vulnerable place where we have had to be the, the support and the encouragement to them. It's not in my notes, and I didn't, so that's why I didn't tell you this was coming. But I'm just moved by this, that the power of God to work even in these difficult situations and to still allow uh, the mission to advance. And so I just want to thank Amy and Amy uh, for really being the heart of this vision as we reach out and the things that we're learning. And their heart for the vulnerable right here in Naperville, whether they be at Alden Care 
or in some apartments on Bailey or wherever they happen to be. A heart for those that Jesus loves. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me in his word. Jesus loves me in his deeds. And Jesus loves me in his death. For the clearest verse on that, we uh, get to get on the road again. And by the road here, I don't mean uh, the song. I mean the Easter road. If you were with us during Lent, we talked about the Roman road, the verses that we read through Scripture, through the book of Romans that lead us to understand salvation in Jesus Christ. And the third stop on the Roman road is at verses, chapter 5, verse 8. This says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love for us. He shows us his love. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Christ loving us in his death. And in our reading this morning, Jesus himself tied into that when he says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friend. And you are my friends. And he's not saying it there, but in those words, the disciples didn't get it at the time, but we know he was saying, this is how much I love you. There's no greater love and I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it tomorrow. Actually, this was Thursday night when he said that. And the next day was the crucifixion. The writers of the second verse of Jesus loves me capture this. Say, Jesus loves me, he who died. Heaven's gates to open wide. He will wash away my sin. Let his little child come in. So not only in his death is there this forgiveness that comes, washing us clean, but heaven's gates are opened wide as well as we have the assurance of an eternity with him. Jesus loves me in his words. Jesus loves me in his deeds. Jesus loves me in his death. Jesus loves me. This I know. This I know. A couple of testimonies to that. One comes from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was overwhelmed, really, by the love and grace of God. He knew how how dark his life had been before his conversion. He was literally trying to kill Christians and stamp out this new, crazy Christian movement. And Jesus saved him in a profound way. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9. And so the rest of his writings are filled with this awe of the grace that he's received and the love of God for him in spite of who he had been, this unconditional love. Some of his greatest words of testimony come at the end of Romans chapter 8 where he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquering through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you tell I love to read that scripture? I actually think I quoted it a few weeks ago, but I like to read it again. Because this is a testimony of the Apostle Paul, who knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus loved him. Not because he'd learned a song in Sunday school, not because he'd read it on the pages of Scripture, but because he'd experienced it deeply and profoundly in his own life. Another testimony comes from the middle of the 20th century, from the Swiss Reformed theologian Karl Barth. In that time when Bart was, was active as a theologian in Germany and Switzerland, the, the predominant theology was an extremely liberal theology going on. And, and, and Bart championed sort of a fresh new view of the real, he, he captured the real living Jesus. He captured the truth of the word. Now, Bart was not a fundamentalist either, and he did battle on that end of things, but he was a, a respected voice by all parties in the theological world in the middle of the 20th century. When he was touring and speaking in the United States in 1962, 
He was asked to deliver a, a, a distinguished lectureship at Union Theological Seminary in Richmond, Virginia. And while he was there, a group of ministers and theologians and dignitaries sat down with him in a kind of a question-and-answer period. We're not clear exactly the question was, but I researched this thing to make sure it had really happened. It really happened, but the actual question to him was never written down. But it was something like, what is the most profound thing? Or how would you summarize your theology? Or what is the most profound thought that you know, Dr. Bart, this extremely brilliant, prolific man? And Bart answered, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's his testimony, this brilliant theologian who'd done battle with the liberal theologians and and tried to reason with some of the fundamentalists and and stuck with his faith in Jesus. And bottom line, it was, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I believe he knew it because he'd experienced it, not just because he'd studied it. And our testimonies come forth also as an experience of the deep love of Jesus. Whether it's the moment of salvation or whether we've recovered from some difficult area of either addiction or deep hurt in our life. Or whether we've battled with other things through our life. Whether we've struggled with depression or other areas of illness. And yet at the bottom line when it comes around to it and there's nothing else we can hang on to than the deep love of Jesus for it. It becomes our testimony too. Jesus loves me, this I know, even though everything seems to fight against it some days. This I know. We also can make this uh, our our confidence by certain kinds of affirmations of faith. In a little bit, we'll be sharing communion, which is a, a way we affirm our faith. Jesus gave us this wonderful gift of the Lord's Supper, not just as a clever little symbol that we can make a church service a little bit longer with. That's not his intent. (laughs) It's a sacrament. Jesus comes to us and is present with us and around us as we share in it. He gave us something that we can feel and smell and taste and even hear when it's a crunchy bread so that our senses would be engaged with him and his grace and his presence. And so we affirm our faith. We affirm that he lived and died and rose again. We affirm that we have been made new in him, and we affirm and proclaim that he will come again. That's what we do in the Lord's Supper. It's an affirmation of our faith. And often when we're getting ready for communion, we also affirm our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. And so instead of doing it when I get to the table here after we sing, I want us to affirm our faith now. It also does not say, Jesus loves me, this I know, but it's an affirmation of where we stand and who he is. And so let's repeat together then the words of the Apostles' Creed. Let's stand as we do that. Let's read together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into Hades. Third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. You may be seated. And so we receive this gift of love from Christ. 
And whatever touches you the most today, the words that he speaks, the deeds that he does, or your own experience, our coming to the table really is a, it's a privilege, but it's also an act of obedience. We do it because he said to do this. We, we celebrate in the covenant church two sacraments, sacrament of baptism, and we do it either for infants or adults. In both cases, we see it as pointing to the love of God. And we do it because Jesus says, go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them. So it's an act of obedience. And we do communion regularly because it's also an act of obedience. Jesus says, keep doing this in remembrance of me. Keep doing this and proclaiming my death until I come again. And so we do it in obedience. But it's an obedience that's not difficult. It's an obedience that's not harsh at all. It's like, we get to? We get to share in this time. I just pray that today the table comes as a expression of the love of Jesus for you. That we can say, Jesus loves me in his words, in his deeds, in his death. And Jesus loves me in the gift of this supper and the gift of his presence and the gift of his grace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the clear assurance of your love for us. We thank you for these people from so long ago that penned some simple words and a simple tune that have sort of captured us over these many centuries that rings so true. A confidence in your love, a confidence in your word. Your, leap, your deep love for the littlest of people and the most marginalized of people and the hope of in eternity with you. And so Lord, thank you for this gift of your love. And thank you now that we get to proclaim and make our own testimony as we receive the supper. We thank you, Lord, for your deep, deep love for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.